Now we have to make sure we can pay for our groceries. SongTrust removes the complexity of the publishing landscape and offers detailed access to data otherwise not directly available, helping songwriters, artists, producers, managers, publishers, labels, lawyers, distributors, and more simplify music rights management and the administration of music publishing assets, performing rights and digital licensing. SongTrust provides solutions for corporate clients, including CD Baby, Downtown Music Publishing, The Orchid, Symphonic, and Sub Pop Publishing. You want to be sure and visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast to take advantage of their 20% off the one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now let's get on with our episode. Hey friends, it's Tim Hunzi, your host of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And as we wrap up this season, we love to include some of our favorite clips. And today's mashup has my favorite topic, technology. And in this first clip, we have Anna Bond with SongTrust, who happen to be our sponsors for these wonderful podcasts. So now we're going to look into the future. Do you see any upcoming trends or changes in the near future that interest you? It's, this is a, this is a interesting question. It's a tough one. So something that I think people talk about a lot is, um, you know, the development of, of machine learning and kind of algorithm, algorithm based music creation. And I think people get very nervous about it because they think the robots are replacing us. Um, you know, people thought that about samplers, about 808s, like, I think it will be interesting. Um, I am concerned about, you know, your your mood playlists, your kind of, you know, your instrumental bands who are on the the Spotify deep focus playlists of the world um, being replaced by kind of their their algorithm, uh, not equivalent, but kind of analog. Um, but I think in terms of of actual, you know, music listening that people are actively engaging in, I. I don't think it's going to be a big problem. I think it will create a lot of interesting problems of volume, um, of tracking. Um, I think, you know, the potential for, you know, AI song delivery of 100,000 songs a day um, could could really tax the the way the publishing world works. Um, so, so that'll be something interesting to keep your eye on. But um, I think in terms of, you know, respecting human creativity, I'm not worried about it, but I am interested in, in how the systems will manage it if, if people really get engaged with it. I, I agree. I think that's an interesting perspective. I am a drummer. And I remember when drum uh-huh. machines first started becoming a thing, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to replace drummers. Drummers are better. They never replaced Did, us. So we're happen, still here. No. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a good analogy to, to keep in mind is uh, people you are. You got to have the most responsible member of the band. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to tell everybody you have to follow me. So, you know, hey. Exactly. I was not the lead singer. I had to haul all that stuff in for a reason. <laughs> Always my internal joke. No one ever appreciated it. We drummers were the butt of most, but our bass players. I don't know if they're a bass player, but they, I don't I know why. Say bass players. The whole rhythm section, man. We're the ones that lay down the groove. <laughs> they were jealous. <laughs> yeah, always. But is there anything else you see uh, that could be changing in the future? I mean, it's something that's really interesting. You see companies like Splice and BeatStars and, and uh, TrackLib that are making you know, samples and beats and and kind of building blocks of songs more available more widely. Um, you don't necessarily have to just be like a crate digger to find interesting samples anymore. I think that will continue and I think that will only kind of continue to be interesting. Um, but in terms of like, what's the next TikTok? I cannot tell you I'm sitting in front of a 
a record player right now. We have two in my home. Um, we're a little old fashioned in terms of our consumption styles. I like it. Yeah, I have I have just recently entered the world of TikTok, and I, I'm not sure what I think of it. It's just throwing me, but it's work. You know, I try to keep up with the trends, and that one, I don't know, man, but it, my kids love it, so. Uh. Yeah, I'm, that's the thing. Kids love it. Yep. And in this clip, we have a man who's seen everything from acetate to digital streaming, my friend Lionel Conway. That kind of leads into one of my my other questions. You have seen so much technological change, so much. You just mentioned, which I'm aware of, but I imagine most of my listeners don't even know what an acetate is. So I, I have I actually did, but from acetates to tape to to digital to CD. I mean, we we've seen so much. Do you see? How about any- the eight? What about the eight track? And the- <laughs> yeah, I try to forget about those. Those and, were not the, my favorite. And the, and the cassettes. We've, I've been through them all. I've been through every single phase of the music industry. From you, you forgot the biggest earner when I started in the music business was sheet music. Oh my goodness! Sheet music was seventy five percent of our income because we could sell a million copies of a piece of sheet music. Wow. So, all right, walk me through this then. You have seen, because you mentioned again, like when you first started out, which is funny, you said it was radio was it was radio driven. We're back to that now. We're streaming driven. It's not always radio, but we're still, the bulk of my money comes from performance. So you're saying performance mattered then, sales didn't. We're kind of back there now, right? So it's yeah. interesting to see this this transition, but out of the technology stuff, which one of those was your favorite medium? Was there one that you go that sounded best or I mean, you know, I know you're a guy that's a probably not the biggest audiophile, but you're like me, you like to hear amazing music. You like to hear it on a good system and it moves yeah. you. Yeah. Do you feel that I think Go ahead. Yeah, no, I I, I think it's it's the 12-inch re- album, the the 12-inch record. Um is it 12 inch? You know, the, the, the one that had all the information about the record, where it was made, who was on it, uh, that would have a little booklet inside. I think the CD was probably one of the worst. Uh, streaming is fine because it's on demand. You can hear your song at any time. So that's, that's great now. I mean, it's, but as far as the, the sound of it, you know, it's all very compressed. But I think the CD was, was terrific because the long playing record, where you could, uh, you know, line up in a store and to, to get your because everyone wanted to buy it on the same day, and then you would invite your friends over and listen. Then you all read the, the album notes. Oh, look who's playing piano on this track, and look who it was. It was great for the music buyer, for the music fan. I think that was the best era. Yeah, for I know that. If you're marketing to millennials and the younger uh, generation now, they say they're into experiences, but one of the experiences they don't have is exactly what you just said. The experience of going to a record store and having to be in the record store to actually hear the music and you'd, you'd stand in line and like you said, you'd geek out with your friends and then you'd all go back and sit and listen to it because that's the only way you could do it. You couldn't just dial up something and it was just no. transformational and it was a relationship you built over music, which is crazy. And uh, 
I kind of yeah. wish that they would come back. You know, I don't know if the experience, you even had to do the same for concert tickets. I remember standing in line talking to everybody, you going to the concert? Yeah. And you had to stand in line for hours to buy popular concert tickets. Well, that, Tim, that business has come back. It's a, it's a very healthy live business now. Very healthy. Uh, so I, I don't think that that did go away for a while, but it's certainly come back. Uh, and vinyl business has come back as well because of the we miss we miss that that uh, moment of finding something that you really love and taking it home. I, that the vinyl business is it's it's not obviously hasn't replaced the the, the CD, but uh, it's it's certainly healthy. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, definitely the live business. I just think that they missed the the experience of standing in line for tickets. <laughs> Now you just dial it up online and you got to pre-order everything, you know. I like the experience of having to get in your car, drive, stand in line, buy your ticket. You know, it was fun, actually. I probably yeah. groaned yeah. about it back then. <laughs> but, you know, being yeah. relational. I like people, Lionel. I'm like you. I love people. And in this clip, we sit with Derek Wells, session guitar player and producer, who explains to us how the experience of the listener is going to be changing. As you've kind of mentioned and we've discussed a little bit, our, our industry has got, continues to change with technology options. And, and man, it's just been nuts. Like, it's, since I've been in here for the last, oh, I don't know, 15, really the last 10 years have been crazy fast. Do you see any new technology or any advancements that get you excited? Well, um, yeah, we talked about it. The, the, the rolling out of, of really high-res audio in a, on major platforms it's really exciting to me. Um, you know, Tidal's been doing it for a while on the subscription thing. And, um, you know, Amazon's rolling it out now. That's exciting just as an audio geek. You know, I love the idea that we're getting more, um, uh, you know, higher quality product to people. Um, and then on the same thing, man, I'm just really excited. You know, I've always been uh, a liner note geek my whole life. And uh, I think this fits into the categories, man. We're starting to see the credits really develop in a larger way on the DSPs. And I just could not be a bigger fan of that. And, and you know, specifically, Spotify's doing really great. Tidal's doing really great with the credit. You can click on the song to see who played in. Apple's doing some really cool stuff with actually a creating own playlist, kind of the behind the scenes, the creators. They've got playlists called On the Boards for, or Behind the Boards for Producers. I've got ones called on the session for, you know, so for a guy like, you know, me, you know, I, I have a playlist on Apple. You can search Derek Wells and you can see all the stuff that I've played on or produced and they're starting to do, you know, get more in depth with the credits. And I think to zoom out, I think what better way to invest in the worth of music than to allow people to invest in the creators of that music. And so you want someone to pay more than 99 cents for something? How about getting them a little bit more knowledge about who created it and why and let them invest in those people and become fans of more than just the app or the service or even just the song on a bass level? How about letting them become fans of the writers of that song? How about letting them become fans of the producer, the engineer, all that kind of stuff? So that kind of stuff is really exciting to me. 
I'm with you. I still, from a very young age to now, which I have had years of frustration, love to know, well, where did they record this? And who did it? And who's the players? And reading the stories of all that stuff. And yes, I'm with you. Like, I click regularly on a... On their credits, song credits, so I can all see the time. Who... Well, I mean, I remember as a kid reading, you know, some of these the Nashville Cats, you know, reading liner notes and and just you know the internet was archaic at that time, but just thinking like, man, I wonder what this guy looks like, like, you know, just you know that kind of stuff. Like, I wonder what guitar he played. And so now, to have that kind of stuff come back in the liner notes way, and then to be able to do the deep dive, like. Oh, not only can I see who played drums on this, but I can go see a bunch of other stuff he played on at the click of a button, and then I can go a step further and learn about that person as a human. Yeah. I can see what kind of drums they play. I mean, I would have killed for that oh, stuff yeah. when I was I follow a kid. so many artists now on uh, players on my Instagram just yeah. to watch what they do. That's right. And then usually get pissed off because I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, same. <laughs> We saved our final clip for tech guru, Sean Wilson. So, Sean, being that you're a unique uh, guest for me and, and having more of a tech background, um, we're going to kind of peer into my crystal ball and look into the the future, but I'm sure this is going to tag on to uh, another question I like to ask everybody about trends in tech. So yours is probably going to be a combined answer here, I'm having a guess, to see what, what other transitions or as you mentioned like being a data guy data has become the king of what we're doing you see any other transitions or changes coming along uh, that are going to maybe apply to the music industry well let me let me maybe be a little on the annoying side and tell you one i don't think is going to uh, apply to the music industry in in the near term it will in the long term um, and that is blockchain technology so you know blockchain and, and, and crypto and, and the value and the impact that it's going to have on the world is too hard for people to measure. It'd be like being back in 1995 and somehow being able to surmise the value that the internet is going to have. If, even if you somehow ma- accidentally came up with what it is today, it would purely be that it would be an accident. So I don't think long-term people really truly understand, even the people that really intrinsically understand this stuff they just don't know and can't possibly fathom the impact that it's going to have. But I can tell you as someone who sits on the board of a venture capital fund and gets pitched fairly regularly, there's way too much stuff in the music space that is correlated to blockchain technology. And it, in a lot of cases, they're very elegant solutions to problems that don't really exist. And so I see a lot of that um, in, in, you know, in the tech space, overly complicated things. And this is why, even you said at the beginning, I can't believe I didn't think of this thing that Mazuka does. And yet yeah, it's really simple, but executing simple is actually quite hard. What I see a lot in, in tech and music are people wanting to use very, very complex systems to solve problems that really aren't major issues today or ones that just need a much better thought process. So that, that, that's something I see a lot um, in, in music in general. And then as far as a, just a general take on what's happening, um, you know, in the sort of general tech space and sort of what the future holds. Um, I don't think automation is going to be quite as disruptive as some people do, including a fellow that was, uh, you know, running for the Democratic nomination. Uh, I don't think universal basic income is going to be something um, that, that is going to be needed. Um, you know, since the invention of electricity and, uh, you know, the, the, the autom- uh, automobiles, there have been all kinds of disruption where jobs 
um, basically disappear. But they don't disappear permanently because at the end of the day, there's no finite amount of jobs. There'll just be new jobs that'll be, you know, created. And um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very bullish on the fact that, that that's actually going to be something that we'll even see in the next five to six years. Yes, there are Amazon factories that have a bunch of robots. But do we really want people moving stuff around a factory? They could be doing something much more meaningful and, and impactful in their lives. And so I just feel like those transitions, much like it happened when electricity was invented and, you know, Ford, uh, you know, streamlined um, the assembly of vehicles. There were all kinds of jobs that were disrupted, but ultimately those jobs disappear and new ones basically come into replace. So it's, it's a somewhat unpopular stance, but as a generalization of how technology is going to impact, I just don't see that being anything that we have to worry about. We, we, we can't create um, real intelligence. We can barely even recreate a human cell, never mind trying to create a human brain and have something that is truly, um, that, that is truly auto, uh, autonomous and sort of doing its own thing. So I'm not as worried about it as a lot of people are. That, well, that's, that's good, kind of my Sean, because I'll be honest, man, I'm one of those that's afraid the machines were going to take over. I'm not even going to lie. I've, I've got this paranoid I mean, nightmare where the machines are taking over, Sean. Uh, you're giving me <laughs> comfort, brother. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah, the AI is taking over. I can, I can go down rabbit holes with that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, in all honesty, I, I believe you as well that it just transitions positions and opens up other opportunities. But, yeah, it is a interesting. Yeah. it'll be interesting to see that roll out in the next five years as AI gets better. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Podcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Podcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Podcast. <laughs>